0: welcome to a special edition of the neon jazz interview series on this episode i get into something that is not specifically jazz but plays into how this host got into jazz radio furthermore this baseball legend embodies that spirit swagger and grace that goes into the jazz community somehow all of it makes sense on september 9th 2023 dwight gooden was in kansas city at the negro leagues baseball museum as part of a new induction class called hall of game honoring a stellar career in baseball with this I was set on an adventure to interview my personal hero and to simply see what happens as we all chase our dreams I spoke with a very good friend the creator of the neon beat and the engineer for neon jazz mr. John Christopher about this encounter and the story behind it We did all of this in conversation prior to recording the vocals for show 821 It was a story that had to get told and now you get to hear the story of meeting my personal hero and the birth of my Journalism life without further ado, here we go.
1: So I got a really, really good story for you. It may take a second, but I think you're going to really like this. When I was young, my bread and butter was baseball cards and baseball. Like, I loved it. And I've kind of realized later in life that a lot of it probably um, getting into broadcasting stemmed from the fact that I was 4'11 in high school. I had to have something physically mighty, and the only real thing I felt like I could probably do was use my voice and strengthen my brain. I just wasn't the athlete, but I loved it. And I would go after and get autographs and The one player that I always gravitated towards was the New York Mets pitcher, Dwight Gooden. And I don't know if I've ever talked to you about this, but Dwight Gooden was an obsession for me. And it was a good obsession. I loved him. I had posters in my room, shirts. I had his autographs, all of this stuff. I followed him. And one time, so he got into trouble uh, like two or three times with drugs in and out of rehab. And I remember the first time he got into rehab, it was a big shockwave. And I wrote a letter to the Kansas City Star. And I said, we, I said, he's a wonderful human being. We need to give him a chance. He's talented. He's remorseful. We, you know, we need to find some level of empathy. And I remember when that letter got printed in the star, it was the first time I ever saw my name in print. And it was a big deal for me. And I got one of those metal plates made and I had it on my wall but I just loved White Gooden. I got all his cards. I got, I just, I, he, he was the guy. And I watched him. I followed his career. Um, and everybody that knew me in that, that era of high school, early college, knew that. So I, you know, kind of segued into other things in my life. Once I got out of broadcasting, I kind of let that go. Well, last year, Amanda and I were watching this 30 for 30 documentary that ESPN made about the 1986 Mets. Yeah. So I started kind of talking to her about my obsession with Gooden and these guys. And she loved the film. And it reignited me and that love and joy that I had. Because when the Mets won in 86, I ran outside. I threw my glove in the air like Jesse Orozco. I just absolutely loved that era. It brought me an immense amount of joy. But the first time I ever decided any, in any realm of journalism to do anything, I went down to the U News at UMKC. And the, the, the editor, his name is Rich Satterley, And I gave him this, this cutout. He kind of looked at me like, is this all you got? But they were desperate. So that letter I wrote to the star on Dwight Gooden got me in the door. It was a motivator for me. So fast forward about, I followed Gooden on, um, I've, I, I've been following him since that documentary last year. And I can't find a copy of that letter that I wrote. I just can't. I must have thrown it away in the move, and I used to have hundreds of copies, and it's gone. So it's like a figment. So anyway, I I followed Gooden, and it reignited everything. This last Christmas, Amanda got me a, totally by surprise, I had no idea, got me the biography of Dwight Gooden and got me a jersey with his name on it, 16 is his number, and it was signed. And it just floored me. It just blew me away. It took the breath out of me. Because I loved him, and it brought me so much joy. And as a 50-year-old guy, to get reignited with that joy that I had, it was wondrous. I read the bio, all that stuff. So I'm following him, and I see that he had, about a month ago, a Negro Leagues Baseball Museum shirt on. And I'm like, that's interesting. And then right after that, the press release comes out that the Negro Leagues Museum is doing a thing called the Hall of Game, the first one since the pandemic, and they honor black baseball players that made a sizable impact and that are worthy of an honor. So I go down to the Jazz Museum about a month ago, and I notice a cutout of Gooden, and I put two and two together. I'm like, is he coming here? And I finally get and see the press release, and he's coming. So I get my brothers together. I email the Negro Leagues Museum and said, I work for these stations. I have an interview channel and a jazz radio show. Can I come down and cover it? And this gal was like, you know, it was the day after they announced this so the media was going crazy. National media, all these people were pinging her. She's like, I got to get my druthers straight. We have a lot going on. I'll get back with you. So she gave me about a week to get back with her. And I finally got back with her. I left her a message, emailed her, didn't hear anything. And I'm like, well, it was worth a shot. Like, my dream would be to have some level of, like, meeting Dwight Gooden or interviewing him. And I'm like, I gave it a shot. So, She gets back with me just randomly like four or five days after that, after I kind of tucked away my brain and said, here's the itinerary. This is what you need to do. This is how it's going to work. I'm like, wow. But that happened to be the day. The Saturday was the day. Miles was doing that Challenge Air program where he was flying, and his scheduled flight was at the same time as the press conference. So I called Challenge Air. They moved it up two hours, and I still had a hard time because downtown construction is really bad. So the high and hard of a John Christopher is that I got there on time, got my press credentials, walked in the room, and I knew that my hero was going to come out at any point. I'm standing there. Bob Kendrick's taken all of these guys. Al Downing, who uh, let up uh, Hank Aaron's 750th home run, three or four other people, and the first person after Bob's booming voice comes out is Dwight Goodney walks in. And I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, I can't believe I'm laying eyes on this man. And I didn't know what was going to happen. I didn't even that day think I was going to get there. I was like, I'm going to give it a shot. If it works, it works. I didn't have any, pre- any expectations. I'm old enough. I've been down this road. I've gained enough wisdom to know don't do that to yourself. So he comes in, and there's a guy that kind of stopped him, and they shook hands, and he just kind of walked up and gravitated. Doesn't know me from Adam. I have shorts and a shirt. I don't really look like a true press guy, but I dressed up the best I could for going to a, an event with Miles. He walks up, and he looks at me, and he shakes my hand, and I said, how you doing? My name is Joe Domino and he, and he, and he said and he said something like, nice to meet you, and just kept walking around, and I'm just sitting there, and I'm like, oh, my God, I just, I, he came to me like something with him that was going on there brought him to me, so they had the press conference. They do the whole thing, and at the end, all the media is there. And they're like, you can, you can peel off and you can interview. And he's getting a sale. So Channel 9 takes him to the side. I look at this press Cal Kiona, and I said, I want to have a few minutes and I'm just doing audio with him. So I immediately, I'm like, I'm in the room. So I go over and I said, hi, Dwight, can I have a, a few minutes with you? He was like, of course. So I go in, based on the book that I read and just being a fan, I just asked him about this honor and all the ups and downs. They're retiring his number in New York next year. How does it feel? And he lit up. He just lit up, and he was, like, explaining it to me. He brought his dad into it. And the second question was, you threw a no-hitter for the Yankees. And I read it in his book. I mean, his book was really raw. And I was like, what was that like that had to be surreal? He just opened up, man. He just It's like these interviews I have with these musicians. He just totally was wrapped. And it was one of those things where he talked to me so long, people behind were kind of waving him. And when he was done, I, and before I interviewed him, I told Miles, I said, I'm gonna, this is my hero. I want you to take as many pictures as you can in video because I'm not, I'm, not, I'm not here right now. I'm really like, this is surreal to me. So at the very end, I said, can I get a selfie? He was like, of course. So we take selfies. A guy sees it and says, why don't I get a picture with you guys? Miles comes in, and then Miles wants a picture with him. And after it was all done, he looked me in the eye, and he said, Basically, I mean, I it was so it was, it was it was so surreal, man. And he looked at me and he basically said, "I appreciate your questions. I really like what you did." And that was it. And I just walked out and I literally was trembling. I could not believe that it happened. Like just the whole thing is a dream to me.
2: Oh yeah. Yeah, it's one of those moments when you're you, you enjoy it and you say, you almost say something silly like, "Now I can die."
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, This is the thing too, I had to be very careful about it. He was there with his girlfriend and his kids and I almost went up to one of them and said, you guys have to understand how much this man means to me. But I didn't want to fangirl it because that probably would have scared him. So you know what I'm saying? And you've been around celebrity enough. When you start doing that shit, that's when the red lights go off. I've been in that boat before. I've been to concerts where there's people that I really like. When I saw Jason Faulkner in Dallas before I was even a journalist, I went up to a security guard and said, I love this guy. And we had a couple of drinks. I was with some friends and I could just tell by the way I explained it, they got on their walkie talkie and basically said, whatever you do, do not let this guy back here. He's a fanatic. So I didn't want to be that guy. I just kept my journalism in check, but I kept my fan in check too. And it was absolutely beautiful, man. Like I, I, And, and I, Miles took a little video. He took a picture of me interviewing him. I couldn't have asked for anything more. And I got that picture of him framed. I told Miles the story in the car because I didn't, really want to get him freaked out going in because I have to be careful about his nerves. But I told him when he left, I said, Miles, that was my guy. That was, that was my hero. What do you think about that? He just said, he's my hero now
2: too. Oh, wow. Wonderful.
1: Anyway, I, I had to let you know that because it was such a big moment for so many levels. Just you, when you meet your hero, and the thing is they always say be careful. Dwight was such a nice guy, dude. He was so fucking nice. He was so sincere. I could just see his body language up there. He's a man that's been through it. Like, I can tell what the drugs have done to him being there. Like, he he is definitely, his body is in a a, a place of, um, he's aged a lot. I can see it. But there's a spirit within him that's reconnecting with himself and his family and sobriety. And there's a love that emanates from him. And he had to have felt it when he walked walked in that room and saw me. I mean, he just had to have.
2: I thought you were going to say there for a little while that uh, that he was going to remember who you were.
1: Oh, yeah, no. There, I don't know that there would be any way other than, you know, I've sent some stuff on social media. Like, I sent a specific thing after Christmas and said, this is the best Christmas ever, and I tagged him. And I've tagged him a few times with when I wore my jersey and that. But no, and, and he doesn't really do social media that much. I think he kind of does it because he's a celebrity and he's supposed to, but I did tell him he is probably not, he might, and I did this on purpose intentionally, He he's not in the Hall of Fame, but I told him at the very end, that was the one thing I meant to tell you too. At the very end of the conversation, I looked at him and I said, Dwight, I've never been to Cooperstown, and when you get into the Hall of Fame, I'm going to go up for the first time. It was magical. I, I just, I, I still can't believe it happened the way it happened.
2: We tried uh not to uh go gaga uh when i when i meet celebrities and and in one particular instance i think i might have shared with you i i thought i was going to go gaga cuz i heard a, a guy that i really admired as a bluegrass artist was visiting KFEQ yeah and i i thought that i might indeed go gaga yeah. except i wound up what deflated it completely and turned it into a completely easygoing human moment is that um, Ricky Ricky Skaggs was on the other side of the door, big heavy door for the control room. I was simply being an engineer pushing it, and he pulled on the door at the same time, and I went flying in. <laughs> <laughs> And I wound up face to face with him. I mean, nose to nose because he was right there. And all I could think of to say was, "Well, hello, Ricky." <laughs> he said, "Hi, how are you?" And I, his southern accent, big big tenor voice, and uh, we got along famously just by yeah. that little thing.
1: And and that's the, that's the thing about it. it. Almost seems like you know you didn't have any preparation, oh. and. You know, for me, I didn't get all, like, hyped up, like, I have to be here. Like, I just, there was so many roadblocks to this potentially happening. Like, even getting in there, there's all these media with massive cameras and all that.
2: When did this happen?
1: This happened Saturday.
2: Saturday. Okay. This was very recent.
1: Yeah, it was just this Saturday, yes.
2: Wow. Um, Yeah. So,
1: I've just been coming down, and one of the first few people that I contacted afterwards was my best friend in high school. I, I had two. One was, uh, his name was John and the other one was Shane. Shane was a little bit more in tune and I sent, and and I sent him over the interview the other day and he said it just gave him chills. He just still could, he couldn't believe it, you know? So, I mean, and they knew me that well and they knew how much I loved him. So the fact that, you know, not only did I meet him and all of that in the interview, I, I think it just, just freaked him out. And again, I had no idea that this would ever happen in my lifetime. And about three months ago, I wrote a dream list of people that I would love to interview, and Dwight Gooden was the first one. And then it was Bob Costas, and I, I can't remember. There's a few other, like baseball players. So, you know, uh, yeah, I mean, it was just a dream come true.
2: I tried very hard when I when I interviewed Marilyn. Yeah. Not to do the Gaga thing, but uh, yeah, that, that was a dream come true. Yes. That was a after. It's funny because I didn't really, really didn't do Gaga while I was there. It's pretty much, that's one of the things being an engineer has taught me. As you meet these people, you kind of kind of play low key. Yeah. You're you're part of the backstage, but uh, she was lovely. (laughs) And, And,
1: yeah, she is. Yeah, and that's the other part of it, too, like, you have to realize, I had to realize my role as a journalist and as a fan, and I didn't want to get in and I just didn't want to freak him out. And I figured if I started talking to his family about it, you know, because they probably hear it all the time. I mean, I'm sure if they go to events like that, that's high power like that, they probably get people that are fans, and there could have been a part of them, too, that would have been like, I, I, I don't know who this guy is, you know, but anyway, it it all...
2: <laughs> go Andy you know. Hall on him and say, would you... I know it sounds a little strange, but would you please put your, as you sink to your knees, put your foot on my chest?
1: (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God, yes.
2: Helping you out the door.
1: Yeah, exactly. Well, and the other thing, too, is like, you know, when I was a kid, autographs were like the main thing. That didn't even enter my head. There was people that were getting autographs, but like I just wanted to have a moment, you know, and have my son capture it. The fact that he got to be there. To see it and to be a part of it was just not, I mean, the whole thing was unreal, you know. So anyway, I had to tell you that story.
2: Glad you did. The the fact is we haven't actually talked to each other for the last two weeks. When we finally get this thing going, and you've just had this opportunity.
1: The thing, it's like I literally, part of me, I didn't even talk to Amanda much about this happening. Like, I, she didn't really realize until after it happened and I was texting her. Because I just didn't want to get my hopes up, man. I just didn't know how this was going to pan out. I don't go to major uh, media events like this. I mean, I, I just don't. I'm not, like, on the regular list, and I have to really, like, search it out. Like, as you very well know, I mean, if you're a major TV or radio station, you get press releases and opportunities to do this all the time. But if you're an independent guy like me, you have to really, you know, seek it out and, you know, hope for the best.
2: Yeah, and just- Try not to talk like this, you know, I would like to come on.
1: <laughs> yes. But
2: there'll be a lot of people there. It's an innocent <laughs> for location.
0: <Yes. laughs> oh, I love it. Mr. Gooden, hey, how are you? Good. Nice to yeah. meet you, man. Yeah, you. So, you know, you've gone through so many things in your career. You're here for the Hall of Game. Your number getting retired next year. What does this mean for you right now?
3: It's crazy. You know, first I talked about my dad being here to sharing a moment with him, but I got to understand my kids are here. The show's for my kids, my uh, yes. grandkids, great grandkids. Awesome. Um, definitely an honor of privilege. And like I say, we've go through so many different things, you don't know if these things are going to happen. Um, I heard about the jersey first being retired next year, and then like a week later, Bob called me and said, "Hey, you want to induct you into the Hall of in Kansas City." Yeah, I said, "You got to be kidding me!" I thought it was a prank call you know? <laughs> <laughs> because, uh, like, you know about the New Orleans, but you didn't. I didn't know like the induct players until the it. Was. Yeah, I know that. The answer to you, uh, yeah. I said, "Know that," and to talk to Bob, who I've known for many years. Buckle Nill when the 90s they, they come around to Shea Stadium yeah. and sit there and just talking. so being here and being involved and being here with so many great players Let's before my Greg, time Greg not it just I it very, very humbling and surreal and just tickle to death with this absolutely you know I read your bio recently and that no hitter you
0: threw in New York and the way it was described how you were thinking about getting on the plane and you stayed
1: was that I mean
3: when you think about that that has to be surreal no doubt no doubt about it because my dad he taught me baseball. And he was going to have open heart surgery the next day, and he had been on dialysis for 15 years. And you know the story about that. Yeah. I was supposed to go home, I had my plane ticket, and that morning I just thought he would probably want me to pitch. And I called Joe to Torrey, who's the manager, told him to come in the pitch. I said, no, go home be with your dad. I said, no, I'll be in the pitch. And then they said, all right, we'll see you tonight. And the next call was to my mom. She not go to us, She said, no, you have to be here. Dad needs your support. All the family's gonna be here. This is very, very serious. There's no question about it. You're gonna go on that plane, gonna reach that airport. I actually end up hanging up with my mom because she'll make me feel so guilty. Yeah. Then pushing no hill on that day. Wow. And like the first run is, you know, we stand between the walk away up guy in the dugout and the clubhouse, tearing up sometimes, not knowing if he's gonna pull through. And then even like the bike paddle earlier that year, the was trying to decide whether gonna release me or sit me down because I started with one three. Yeah. Um day before we got the was a, I got my own team, then, at the end of the game, the you know, players are carrying off the field, I am thinking think about dad going to be okay, you know, last shot suspended you know, from baseball, one of these shots is benched. After all the great players, players the they get a ball from the game and take it to the hospital the next day, the dad's a life support. The doctor said he did see the game, he to give it to one tier gave him the ball, you know, they made help me pass away, but the last game to to a pitch is that no hitter? Yeah, yeah no. it's weird too because he taught me all the history of the game. And he, you know, growing up in the '60s, we had the black and white TV. We yeah. did the one game a week on Saturdays. And Joe Garagiola. Yeah, did the games on the radio. So he'll have his beer and chips. i have my cooking and juice. He's watching the game. listening to the radio. So if he was here for today, for this moment, oh. I, mean, I don't know if you can. i only saw my dad cry twice. Yeah. When his mom passed away, and I told him I was making the team It's yeah. very true. I'm sure today he's got the Absolutely. Spray-tree.
0: Well, when you make it to Cooperstown, i have never been there. I'm going to go up there. I want to see it. Well, I've great. always loved your career, man. Yeah, this has that. been an extreme honor. Perfect. Thank you. Thanks for tuning in to a very special edition of the Neon Jazz Interview Series. Where along with the jazz, we cover the world of sports, art, literature, and so much more from around the globe. I would like to thank Mr. Dwight Gooden for being a hero and validating a whole life of looking up to him. And for being the catalyst for me becoming a journalist and radio host, an artist, and a writer. Thank you for listening. And if you want to hear more interviews like this, you can find us on all the podcast platforms. On YouTube, you can subscribe and beyond. And for all things Neon Jazz, go to the neonjazz.blogspot.com. Until next time, thanks again for listening, and until next time.
2: Neon Jazz.